What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, man. We're recording real late here on the Blue Bloods. I had to let all these games wrap up. We're going to start in Fayetteville. Arkansas made a statement tonight, guys. 40-21 victory over the Texas Longhorns, and it really wasn't ever close. I mean, I believe they raced out to like a 16 to nothing lead over the Longhorns. They made Hudson Card look terrible. He gets benched for Casey Thompson. And let me just say this. Arkansas, yes, they look you know, bad in like whatever the first half last week. This team's legit. And – Watching Texas A&M struggle today, watching LSU look abysmal in their first game against UCLA, Arkansas could be right there in the four to three range right now in the SEC West, realistically. I mean, they've played good. Sam Pittman has this team balling. And this team was, you know, a play or two from winning a few games last year, which they should have. They definitely should have beat Auburn. They were a better team than Auburn last year. Might still be this year. That's another team they could finish ahead of. But for me, Sam Pittman has this team playing lights out, especially on the defensive side of the ball, in which that's where Texas was supposed to shine. You know, when I did my preview, I had one Arkansas fan was talking about how Arkansas could pull this off, and the Texas fans were just coming after him so hard, saying, you can't do this, that. They shut down the Texas offense. And I want to say, I I understand K.J. Jefferson might not be an elite passer. He was 14 for 19, 138 in a pick. He's a playmaker with his legs, so let me just say that. And he can make enough throws down the field to get this offense moving, and then they can lean on the run game to get them there. Arkansas rushed for 333 yards on the Texas Longhorns. They won both line of scrimmages on both sides of the ball. They had the more efficient and just a overall better playmaker at the quarterback spot. Their defense was better in all aspects. Their secondary is legit. Catalan, or I believe it was Catalan, the safety for Arkansas, one of the best def- defensive backs in the country. The D-line was everywhere. Their linebacking unit is experienced, and is they're so disciplined. They're always in the right spot. The execution for Arkansas is what I'm so impressed with. And then also, you know, I've been to Fayetteville for a game, and I tell everyone it's one of the most underrated environments in the entire country. For me – Tonight they showed why that crowd was electric. They pulled the 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 stripe the the stripe stadium stripe the stadium. They were loud. They were proud. And I I just want to say I love this for Arkansas. They those fans deserve it up there, and they are putting on a show. And Sam Pittman, what a job, man! But I just want to say, man, Arkansas had four rushing touchdowns, had over three hundred and thirty yards on the ground. And when you look on the flip side. I did pick Texas. I, I was wrong, and that's why I'm giving Arkansas so much credit. I thought Bajon Robinson was going to be the difference maker. He got held to night on to 69 yards on 19 carries. He averaged less than 3.6 yards per carry and only had one score. And then they have some depth in that running back room. Didn't use any of it. Casey Thompson, the backup quarterback, was the second leading rusher with 44 yards and two touchdowns. And then your third leading rusher is Hudson Card with 13 yards rushing. That can't happen. Texas's offensive line has to be more physical at the point of attack. 
and they got exposed tonight by that Arkansas front seven. They didn't get a single push. And Hudson Card was horrible through the air. A 15 QBR tonight for Hudson Card. He only averaged four yards of pass, guys. There was no pushing the ball down the field consistently for Texas. Your top receiver, Xavier Worthy, two catches, 41 yards. Then Whittington had five catches for 32, all underneath stuff. He only averaged six yards per catch. Dixon had two catches for 26 yards. Well, what what is that? Where where are all these? Where are the Josh Moore receivers? Where where are your top receivers at? That's atrocious in a game like this. And man, Texas got Texas is moving to the SEC uh, in 2025 potentially, maybe even sooner. They got their first taste of what it's going to be like. And Arkansas gave it to them on a whole nother level. Texas only had 250 total yards and was four for 13 on third down. And they nothing went right. They averaged five yards a pass and three yards a carry. You're not beating anybody like that in any conference on any stage. Arkansas came to play. I am so impressed with what the Razorbacks did on both sides of the ball. Sam Pittman is legit. Arkansas is legit. And they make a huge statement in an upset win over Texas and Fayetteville. But we got to move to the Sawhawk rivalry. Iowa makes a huge statement against Iowa State, 27-17. to And I'm going to be honest, guys, so <laughs> I'm going to be a little critical here. The fact that they won this game by 10 points and put up 27 points with 173 total yards is mind-blowing. That defense is so opportunistic that it blows my mind. I mean, last week they made a living off the running game and picking off Michael Penix. Tonight, made a living off of picking off Brock Purdy and also taking fumbles back to the house. They had they forced four turnovers on Iowa State and they turn almost all of them into points. That was the difference in the game right there. They are so they they just know how to make a play right at the right time. And if you make a mistake on the offensive side of the ball, Iowa is going to turn into points. 27-17 win for the for the Hawkeyes here and I just want to say, listen. I know there's a lot of criticism right now for Matt Campbell for benching Brock Purdy. But let's just be honest, guys. I mean, regardless on if you think he's the better quarterback, in the system, he wasn't getting it done tonight. I mean, 13 for 27, 138, and three picks with a 16 QBR, and he was averaging five yards a pass. That's not going to get it done on a on, on this level of football. You have to be better, and that's what I mentioned in my preview. Brock Purdy has to play like he did down the stretch last season. He started out slow, and playing slow got them smacked by Louisiana Lafayette. If he could consistently play like he showed against Kansas State, like he showed at times last year in the first Oklahoma game, Iowa State would be such a problem. But he doesn't do that consistently. And when he's turning the ball over, this offense goes stagnant because then Iowa or whoever they're playing can stack the box and stop Brees Hall, which they did today, only 69 yards for him, less than four yards to carry and one touchdown. You have to allow your offense to get in rhythm and keep the defense honest. Iowa State did zero of that. They didn't have a run game. They didn't have a consistent passing game. 
And Iowa made a statement today. And, you know, when I look at, you know, what the Big Ten is right now, especially after Ohio State lost, Ohio State, you have to establish the run. Today, Iowa could have done better at that. I'm going to be completely honest with you. They only rushed for 67 yards and only averaged 1.7 yards per carry. When If you want to go on and win the Big Ten, you're going to have to be better than that. For me, I put the whole win on Iowa's defense. Iowa's defense drug this team straight to the win. They all, you know, Petrus did his thing, only 50% completion percentage, though, 106, five yards per pass. He's never going to give you, like for me, he's never going to give you that spectacular game where he can carry a team on his back to a win. But as long as he's not making turnovers and as long as he's making a, a, a good throw here or there, he's good enough to win for this Iowa team. And, you know, if, if, if you didn't watch this game, and watch what Iowa's defense did, you'd be like, man, how in the hell do they pull this one off? And they gave up over 300 yards and still won by 10 without hitting the 200-yard mark. And I want to say, I think Goodson, man, he has he he could be so good. It's just if that offensive line can just be a little bit more consistent in terms of getting a push on the offensive line. I thought the front seven for Iowa State played very, very well. It was just they got no help. If you take the three turnovers away from Purdy, I would love to see what this game looks like. But you, if, if this, is the, this is the whole moral of the story. If you play sloppy against Iowa, they're going to beat you because they don't make mistakes. That was the whole thing. They're like on offense, we're not going to put up a lot of points. We're not going to be flashy, nothing like that. All we're going to do is be consistent, stick to our game plan, execute and not turn the ball over. And then we're not going to turn the ball over again. And then we're never going to put the ball in jeopardy. And because of that, their defense goes out there and plays with like this reckless abandon. And if you start turning the ball over, I was going to run away with the game. That was it. That's how they pulled this one off is their defense was so stingy again. And I am so impressed with how Iowa pulled this win out. They're probably going to move up even more. They're probably going to be a top eight team come tomorrow, and I I thought they had one of the more impressive wins. They just got to figure out that offensive identity and offensive consistency if they want to continue this amazing run they have so far through the Big Ten schedule. And if they want to compete with Ohio State for a championship, they're going to have to score on offense, and they're going to have to be able to move the ball a bit more consistently. But a huge win, six straight Cy-Hawk matchup wins for Iowa. So shout-out to them, and the Hawkeyes are a legit contender this year. And the last individual game we'll break down, man, is Michigan putting on a dominating performance against Washington, 31-10 to in the big house. They killed the maze out. The all-blue uniforms look sick. I wish they would have done all maze uniforms, but I'll, I'll digress. But it, 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 they did exactly what I said. He had to run the ball, and they ran it right down Washington's throat. Corum, 21 carries, 171, and three touchdowns. He averaged over eight yards per carry. He was unstoppable. Haskins, 27 carries, 155 in the touchdown, averaged almost six yards per carry. This team ran for 343 yards on the Huskies. Anytime you do that, it's going to be a win, and – for Michigan, they knew their wide receiving core was depleted. They knew that K. McNamara probably wasn't going to be able to carry this team against a very talented Washington secondary. 
So what did they do? They put it on the ground 56 times, and Washington, regardless of how many times they stacked the box, couldn't do anything about it. Michigan had 44 yards passing. Cade McNamara averaged 2.9 yards per pass, and they won by 21 points, and it was just running away with it. It took a while for that offense to get clicking, but once it did, Corum and Haskins absolutely put on a show tonight. And for me, so I'm not going to look too far ahead, but if Michigan can keep establishing this run game and find some sort of defensive game plan, this might be the one year that I could say they might be able to challenge Ohio State after what Oregon did on the ground because they got two guys that can run the ball. So Michigan's probably sitting here like, man, if long as if we can just get one good game at the end of the season, we might be able to at least compete with Ohio State. So, you know, I thought Michigan did really well. I think they could probably be on the back end of the top 25 come this come this, come tomorrow. So that that could be something to watch. I thought the defense played pretty well. Dylan Morris did his thing. He didn't really turn the ball over through the air. 20 for 37, almost 300 yards passing a touchdown. He played much better this week. But the story of the game was the Michigan front seven absolutely putting on a show against this Washington offensive line. They allowed 50 yards rushing on 32 attempts. They held Washington to 1.6 yards per carry. Newton couldn't get anywhere. Davis couldn't get anywhere. They even tried to let Giles Jackson run the ball three times. He got nowhere. If if Washington could Washington's O line could not establish the line of scrimmage, and that just goes to show that Michigan front seven is legit. And they had an amazing game, and they've shut down the run game. And when you make Washington one dimensional with a quarterback who's not really a playmaker, it, it shows what happens. They just wore that Washington front seven down, and then Washington could run the ball to control the clock, and that's why Michigan had a 35 to 25 time of possession advantage, almost 10 more minutes on the field for that Washington defense. And when you have a team that ran for 343 and you hold the other team to 50 total rushing yards, that's the story of the game right there, man. And they didn't have to put the ball in the air. They were two for three on fourth downs because they got into some short yardage situations, seven for 15 on third downs. They were efficient and crucial downs. Washington, seven for 17, and they were one for four on fourth downs. I mean, they just couldn't get it done. I thought I thought Jim Harbaugh probably had one of his bigger wins. I know Washington fell to Montana last week, but to get a huge non-conference game win at home in front of your home fans in this type of fashion absolutely for me made a statement and when I look at the Big Ten right there behind Ohio State I feel like there's a lot of contenders who are like man this could be our year you got Penn State playing well Iowa playing well Michigan with two big wins you have some you have some teams in there that are like man this week we can probably make a run this year what if we could do this what if we could do that Michigan needed this win. Harbaugh went out and got it. And right now, if they can continue this running game, I think that I think they can compete with a lot of teams on their schedule. This team looked very good on the defensive side of the ball. They looked efficient on offense. It's just the one question I have coming out of this weekend for Michigan is, what is that passing game going to be like without Ronnie Bell? They didn't have to pass this game because they ran for 343. What happens when someone shuts down the run? Is Michigan going to be able to find a way to pass the ball? That is that that is the whole question for me coming out of this weekend. Is if you if you stop them, 
what what's the game plan? Can they find someone like a Dalen Baldwin or someone like that to really step up in Ronnie Bell's place? I thought he was going to be play a little bit more part of the offense. He wasn't targeted, but they really didn't throw the ball that well. But for me, Michigan, this was a big one for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. It, it kind of got the haters and the people calling for his job off his back for, for at least just tonight. And if he can get a few more wins under his belt and, you know, aim for a 10-2 and two season, aim for a 9-3 and three season, that would be perfect. And this year looks like their strength is Ohio State's weakness. So this could be the first year they can make that matchup at the end of the year. Very interesting in a very long time. And, you know, for my final takeaways, man, I just want to say as I'm recording the Stanford game just wrapped up, Stanford gets a huge upset win over number 14 USC in the Coliseum. Tanner McKee played outstanding. And USC, man, they just choked that one away. And I would love to see a little bit more from USC. But the Pac-12 just got real interesting. Oregon with a huge win over Ohio State. UCLA playing lights out. Colorado taking A&M down to the wire. Stanford beating USC. Uh, Arizona State quietly out there 2-0 with two big wins. So for me, the Pac-12 looks so interesting out west. And so I think you can have a lot of teams that can, you know, maybe shock some people. And I think that Pac-12 is going to be a dogfight this year. So that was another one. And, yeah, A&M and Colorado, man, 10-7. I have a lot of questions about A&M, especially with Haynes King potentially being out for an extended amount of time. Can Zach Calzada really lead that team through the SEC gauntlet that they have lined up? That's a big question. He, he looked okay as he came in. If Colorado could have just put one drive together, it really could have made a big impact on that game. And so that's, that's what I'm looking at. Also, JT Daniels being out. Georgia didn't miss a beat against UAB. But what can what is Georgia going to be without him? Because I've heard there's some rumors that he might have to have some surgery here or there. That's going to be something big to watch. And, guys, it was a great week, too. There were some huge, great games. And also, Florida State. Listen, if you're a Florida State fan, you've got to be looking at Nor- Norvell sideways. Jacksonville State upsetting Florida State on a Hail Mary in which Florida State was not in prevent defense. The wide receiver catches it, stiff arms a DB, and then then cuts, then jukes out another one to get the last second touchdown. The fact you weren't playing prevent in a Hail Mary situation tells me all I need to know about the coaches. So Florida State falls to 0-2 after a loss to Notre Dame and now a Hail Mary against Jacksonville State. It was a brutal way to lose, but man, we had one of the biggest upsets of the season. Oregon over Ohio State in Columbus without their best player, Kayvon Thibodeau, missing a five-star linebacker in Justin Flo, and the Ducks found a way to pull it out 35-28, as y'all see down there. That is the final score in Columbus, and the Ducks, number 12 ranked in the country, made a huge statement today, guys. I mean, you know, a lot of people weren't giving them – you know, much chance at all going into this game. And even people like me who had faith, you know, in the preseason that Oregon could pull this off. Once Kayvon Thibodeau was announced out, was announced out with injury and Justin Flo was out, everyone just kind of jumped off the bandwagon. Outside of Eugene, I don't know many people who thought Oregon was going to pull the upset. You saw on game day, even Desmond Howard was like, man, I thought this was going to be close. Kayvon Thibodeau being out changes the whole dynamic. Ohio State in a blowout. That was his exact quote. Well, 
Oregon had other plans. And, you know, I want to say we're going to start with takeaways. And I want to make this episode more about Oregon than Ohio State's, you know, problems. But for one, Mario Cristobal better start getting some respect put on his name. He is recruiting like a madman. He is developing talent beautifully up in Eugene. And he has shown that he can take this Ducks team and go win a big game on the road when all when all the hype and all the media and everyone's up against them. They executed on such a high level all day. And the biggest thing is, you know, before the game, we knew Ohio State was going to have to have big plays, that they are an explosive offense and they were going to give Oregon a few punches. The number one thing I love about what I saw today from the Ducks is that no matter how many times Ohio State busted a big play or got something explosive or, you know, made a guy miss an open field and took it for a touchdown, Oregon stuck to their game plan. He said, listen, we understand we're going to be a run-first team. We're going to run the ball 40 times, and we're never going to get away from that, no matter what is going on on the field. And they did that. They rushed the ball 38 times for 269 yards, an average for the game, over seven yards per carry. And I told you all on my pregame preview, C.J. Verdell was going to have to be special. I said that he was going to have to win this game. 20 carries, 161 yards, averaged over eight yards per carry and had two scores on the ground and also took a took a pass for a touchdown and, and was the Ducks' leading receiver with three catches for 34 yards. C.J. Verdell also has to get some respect put on his name. This is a guy who is the MVP of the 2019 Pac-12 championship game when the Ducks beat a top-five team in Utah. All, you know, And for me, this, this offensive line did their thing. I was confident that that Oregon offensive line was going to have to make some sort of an impact, and they did. They won the line of scrimmage again. And that's where you know we'll get into what went wrong with Ohio State. That, that front seven, as good as they are in terms of rushing the passer, absolutely cannot handle a run game. I mean, they could get any penetration. They missed tackles, poor gap protection. It, it, it is a whole problem. And I'm pulling up, you know, just my notes from the from the preview. The matchup, the matchup to watch for me was 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 easy. And it was the Oregon defensive line versus the Ohio State O-line. And if you watch the last, I believe it was like two minutes, so Ohio State's last drive mostly the defensive line closed the game. They were getting to C.J. Stroud. Even though he completed that pass, they should have had a sack at the goal line. They get a sack to end the game. They were rushing the passer, getting him out of the pocket, and they forced the last-minute the last minute interception for, for, for uh, I believe it was Verone McKinley who got that interception. The one time, the one big drive, they got to Stroud consistently. You saw you forced them into freshman mistakes, and that shows that this Oregon defense can step up in key moments without two of probably their top five best players on the defense. The Oregon defensive line deserves huge credit for coming in in the clutch situation to force C.J. Stroud to make a, his first mistake. And C.J. Stroud played well, but you saw once you got to him and once you put him in that pressure moment and you started sacking him and getting him out of the pocket, he tried to force something. And that Oregon secondary, which everyone thinks, um, everyone overlooks, made a play. Verone McKinley getting the game-winning interception. And also a big takeaway for me, Anthony Brown. Props. I apologize. Listen, I, I am a man on the uh, like. I, I'm a man of my word on here. I apologize. I had zero faith in Anthony Brown this year. I thought by this game, Todd Thompson 
would probably be the starter. Anthony Brown played outstanding. I mean, 236 yards, zero turnovers, had two big touchdowns, and also ran for 65 yards, averaging over six yards per carry. You know, I was talking to my friend on the phone during halftime. I was like, man, Brown just looks like a playmaker out there. When things break down in the pocket, he can make something happen outside of it and or he can get on the ground with his legs and go make a play happen. And Oregon, I, I don't think, you know, right now as a freshman, I don't know if Thompson could do that. I agree. He's so he's the future so bright for Oregon. But right now, Anthony Brown solidified himself as the leader of that team. And also a big takeaway here is that Oregon secondary, I know they gave up a lot of passing yards, but can we put a little bit more respect on Oregon's defense, man, without their two best players holding Ohio State to 28 points? It was a bend-don't-break approach, and I am fine with that. It wins games today. You're not With an Ohio State offense like this, you're never going to shut them down, per se. And But when you look at what they did, yes, they gave up 600 total yards, but – that's all fine. I'd rather I give up 600 yards and hold you under 30 points. They did what they had to, and the biggest thing for me is they forced a, they forced a great turnover late in the game, and then also they held Ohio State to six for 15 on third downs. That is the key. While on the flip side, Oregon's offense was amazing and, and you know achieved over 50 percent on their third down opportunities. And Ohio State two for five on fourth down. Get the points where you can get them, man. I think I think they got a little bit too confidence in their offense to make plays. Oregon made the stops when they need to. Yes, giving six hundred, uh, giving giving up over six hundred yards is tough, but they made the play and made the stop when they needed to and got them the win. And when you look at what went wrong for Ohio State, I mentioned it: the running defense for Ohio State, the front seven is just abysmal, atrocious, whatever you want to put on it. Apparently, I liked A-words there, but it is bad. It is terrible. I mean, zero gap integrity. They get pushed around on the on the front of the line. And also, there's no edge protection. The Oregon made a living getting up off the edge. That defensive end keeps getting sucked in and or, you know, he keeps getting reached on. And once you get reached as a defensive lineman and that offensive tackle has his hand there and you can't get outside of him, the running back's gone. And they did it time and time again. Until Ohio State can win the edge, teams are going to be able to run on you because they're going to keep getting outside, keep getting outside, and then they're going to they're going to hit you up the middle, and it's going to be an explosive play. Haskell Garrett is so good, but he can't do it all alone. The other guys got to help him on the inside of that defensive line. They have a bunch of pass rushers on the defensive line, but they they aren't great in the run game, and that's going to kill Ohio State time and time again because they gave up over seven yards to carry to Oregon coming off a week where they let Mo Ibrahim absolutely torch them for almost that in the first half. That is going to be the Achilles heel of Ohio State. If you can run the ball, you're gonna you're gonna be able to put some points up on Ohio State and shorten up the game, which is what Oregon did. They kept they the time of possession, shockingly, Ohio State still won, but Oregon made it where it was 30-30. Ohio State couldn't wear down their defense. They wore down Ohio State's defense toward the end. And I am so impressed with them. Now on the offensive side for Ohio State, you put up six hundred yards, but for me, you got away from the run game. I you 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 know, I understand you rushed for 30 times, but you only averaged four yards a carry, 128. Henderson wasn't explosive, wasn't as explosive as he was last week. Mayan Williams didn't do as much as he did last week. And for me, 
you can't have C.J. Stroud throw 55 times in a game like this. I understand you have the athletes on the outside, but if you give anybody who understands college football that stat, and you're like, they're going up against one of their biggest tests, and you're going to give this young kid 55 times to put it in the air, he was eventually going to make a mistake, which he did to lose the game. And then also – you have to make the defense be honest. You had to establish the run. They're missing their best, arguably their best or second best. I understand that the other, the Sewell kid at linebacker is a stud too. They're missing their, one of their best linebackers. They're missing by far their best defensive lineman. And you couldn't establish the run on Oregon. You had to run the ball more. There is no reason you should have had CJ Stroud throw for 55 times through the air today. And listen, Chris Olave, a absolute problem. 12 catches, 126. He is a problem. Garrett Wilson is a problem. 117, eight catches and a touchdown. Jackson Smith, two touchdowns, 145 and seven catches. But the problem is, as deep as this wide receiving core is behind them, where is the help? No one else had over 40 yards and no one else had over three catches. You gotta have, you're going to have to find a fourth and fifth guy. That way, when you spread the defense out, you've got five threats there and they're too talented in the depth of that wide receiving core to really be a, that for that to be a problem. And so for me, I, I thought the Ohio State team, the offense is going to be fine all year, guys. Ohio State is going to be able to put up yards and points. That's not the problem for them. The problem is that defense can't stop a nosebleed in terms of the run game. And then but because of that, Oregon was able to live off the RPO game. They were able to live off some screen passes. They were able to get Anthony Brown some high percentage throws and allow him to game manage the game perfectly. And he made plays when he had to, and that's the problem with Ohio State. Now, the next topic, are the Ducks a real college ball playoff contender? Yes, I picked them for the playoffs last year until everyone opted out in the Pac-12, you know, completely butchered the COVID situation. The Ducks are real. When they get healthy, they are the best team in the Pac-12. And right now, I think they can compete with just about anybody in the country. I think this team is a real contender. Mario Cristobal has done more than enough on the recruiting trail to load that team up with talent and depth. And I was having a conversation during the game with um, a, another one of my friends who's not he's not into college football as much as like I am, but he watches his team and some of the top teams. This idea that there's no parity in college football and that Oregon is just this Pac-12 team, and it's it, it, if you don't watch all these games and know all these players, you got to stop saying that. There is so much parity in college football, and Oregon is a legit team. If you don't follow their recruiting, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't understand that Verone McKinley's legit, that C.J. Verdell's legit, that they have one of the best receiving cores in the Pac-12 led by Micah Pittman. They have talent just because you don't know the players' names as well because for some reason, because Oregon's on the West Coast, you don't stay up late to watch their games sometimes, doesn't mean they're not a legit contender. Oregon is legit. They have just as much depth and just as much talent as the rest of the national contenders, and we have to stop this narrative that that the teams on the West Coast can't compete with the teams on the East Coast because there's a coach over there, Mario Cristobal, who's from the Nick Saban lineage, who has coached in the SEC and proven he can do it, and he's out recruiting a lot of those Southern teams as well. He had the top six class this past year, and he also has some, he has some dogs coming in this next class. And Michael Wright on that defense, Bennett Williams on that defense, Noah Sewell, all those guys can ball. So put some respect on Oregon's names. For me, they're a real contender. For me, the Pac-12 is going to be a dogfight. UCLA looks legit. 
USC is a contender. Oregon's the real deal. Colorado's playing right now, has a chance to put the Pac-12 even more on the map with a big win against Texas A&M. For me, if Oregon wins out, which I think they absolutely can, they should be in the college football playoff. And that conversation is going to get real interesting now that Ohio State and Clemson both have won losses. And you have the X factor of Notre Dame and Cincinnati also sitting there in the top 10 who could also be factors if they go undefeated. Now, what's next? Oregon, um, I believe, has um, – um, I think it's – I think that's Stony Brook. Yeah, they play Stony Brook next. Should be a game to get healthy. Should be a game they could rest Kayvon Thibodeau and kind of gear up for Pac-12 play. Ohio State, on the other hand, has to find a way to rebound from this loss. They get Tulsa next week. That, that should be fine. And then they get Akron the next week, I believe. So, uh, too easy – should be easy and solid games for Ohio State to kind of get their feet under them. But guys, I just want to say I was wrong and I should have I, I should have stuck with my preseason gut because I've been preaching about how Oregon could pull this off. I didn't believe in Anthony Brown. Now I apologize on that one because that kid balled out. But Oregon's legit. Ohio State's offense will be fine, but until they can stop the run, that is a huge, huge issue. They have a long stretch before they get a, some real competition when they run into Penn State in late October. Oregon is still the favorite for the Pac-12 for me. This was an amazing game, guys, from two great teams. So, listen, my final takeaways from the week are Oregon played outstanding. What a great strategy. What a great win for that program. And Mario, Kristen Ball, Arkansas, legit SEC contenders. Iowa, a legit Big Ten contender. Iowa State's got some work to do on that offensive side of the ball. Michigan looks like they could be a dark horse in the Big Ten. And also, man, I think the college football playoff race is going to be berserk this year. It's way too early to kind of, you know, to, you know, break down who's in and who's out. Right now, we realistically could have a one-loss Clemson, a one-loss Ohio State, an undefeated Cincinnati or Notre Dame. We could have Georgia and Alabama. One of them has to have a loss in the SEC championship. You could have an undefeated Oklahoma. What if Oregon goes undefeated? It's going to be chaos in the end of the year. This college football season after really three weeks, if you count week zero, has been absolutely amazing, man. I'm glad college football back. College football is back. I know y'all are too, but guys, now the Blue Bloods are out.